Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast, a real look at single parenting, how to navigate the ups and downs of life with kids on your own while keeping sane. We cover all manner of subjects from domestic violence, dealing with childhood trauma, through to fussy eaters and how to help your kids become resilient. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. This week's guest, Laura Reardon, teaches parents about how to respond to their kids' big emotions and challenging behaviour in a way that creates more peace rather than more conflict in their home. She was graced with two children, a boy and a girl. And although she is not a single parent, in their growing up years, she felt frustrated, worried and unsure how to respond to their big emotions and challenging behaviour. One would lash out while the other would shut down. Confusing, eh? She tried many things like counting to three, consequences, rewards and ignoring unwanted behaviour but none of it helped. And in the end, she found herself yelling and worrying and feeling lonely in the whole parenting thing. I think we've all been there. I know I've definitely been all three. Um, Motivated to grow into her best self and help her children grow into their best selves, she earned a certificate as a child behavior specialist from the early years. Motivated to grow into her best self and help her kids grow into their best selves, she earned a certificate as a child behaviour specialist from the early years, completed parent coaching training from Happily Family and completed emotional coach training from the Gottman Institute in addition to her degree in psychology from Northeastern University. And based on that training, she created a three-step plan for how to respond to the big emotions and challenging behaviour in her home in a way that supports her in managing her own emotions and behaviour and supports her kids in managing theirs. You are listening to Strong, Single and Human Podcast. Welcome, Laura. Welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you. Thank you. On the podcast, not to have you, as it were. Yeah. Well, no. Thank. Thank you for having me. It's it's a pleasure to be here. No, thank you. I seems such a long time since we spoke last, but yeah, yeah, it's been great. Eventually, we get to speak. Yes. Um. So, look, I've sort of given an intro as to how you got to where you are right so how you've got you had like you were like all of us right um bringing up your two kids and finding that they were having all these big emotions and stuff and you were like well, how do i deal with this like just it's almost <laughs> i sometimes sit there and look at my son and go dude just get over it, all right? Yes. It's, it's a toy that broke. <laughs> like, it was a piece of plastic. It was a McDonald's toy or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, like, so so what are these big emotions that our kids are, like, wh- why are they so big? Yeah, I think that um, I think what is helpful, if it's okay with you, is to start with a definition or my definition of emotional regulation. Because as a parent, when my kids were in their growing up years, um, my daughter's a freshman in college now, and my son is just graduated from college and living in his first apartment. But in their growing up years, um, there were big emotions like anger and anxiety, and there were, um, you know, big behaviors like lashing out and shutting down. And so what I wanted is to, um, you know, have less conflict and more peace in my home. Um, and I wanted to teach them the skills so that in their future homes and within themselves and within their relationships, um, they would have the knowledge and skills to create peace for themselves. And so that started me on the path to where I am now. And essentially, 
um, you know, what I've learned is how to respond to those big emotions and um, challenging behaviors in ways that build social and emotional skills. And um, I think to understand what social and emotional skills are, because that's a term that uh, a lot of us are familiar with and gets tossed around a lot, but I'm not sure, you know, if we all have the same definition or really an understanding of what that means. Well, that was what I was going to ask you, because like you were saying social and emotional, right? So what does that actually What the heck mean? does that mean? Yeah. 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 And also, and I think, I think you hit on a really key point, right? It's about being able to control, as parents, being able to control our emotions, but show our children how they can actually... And I think control is a maybe is the wrong word, right? Because it means that we're like some. My interpretation of control, maybe it's just my hang-ups, is control and push down, right? It's not about pushing down or hiding or anything like that, but it's about managing is maybe the right word your emotions, um, so that your children can manage their emotions, not when they're well, when they're little, but then when they get older and you're not there. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's helpful to start with an understanding of what is the purpose of emotions. And the purpose of emotions is to communicate information to us about our met and our unmet needs. So when we're feeling comfortable emotions, our needs are being met. And when we're feeling uncomfortable emotions, our our, our needs are being uh, are not being met. And so some, you know, sometimes um, they're comfortable, sometimes they're not, but all emotions are really important um, and safe to feel because they communicate information to us. And, you know, they're intended to be transient, to, to come to us, deliver a message and then move on. Um, and so if we try to ignore those emotions, they're just going to get louder in their attempt to communicate what they're trying to communicate to us. So that's the purpose of emotions. Um, and so, um, and, and the purpose of logic is to um, become curious about what our emotions are communicating to us and to respond in effective ways, meaning ways that um, create peace and connection within ourselves and within our relationships with others. And so in an ideal world, it all works very beautifully. We're feeling our feelings. We're becoming curious. We're responding in effective ways. And doesn't that sound fabulous? <laughs> oh my God. I wish it was that simple. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so the question is, why, why is it so challenging? And I, so I think it's really helpful to cre create some compassion and understanding for why that is so challenging, not just for our kids, but for ourselves as parents of course. And so um, it starts with it starts with an understanding of our nervous system and how it unconsciously affects our behavior. And our nervous system, um, essentially, in short, is um, our brain and our body and the communication between the two and impacts everything that we do. And so when our nervous system perceives safety, we are regulated, emotionally regulated, meaning that we are um, calm or open to listening and learning and problem solving. And we're able to act as our best selves when we perceive safety. Um, but when our nervous system perceives um, a threat, we become dysregulated, which triggers our fight, flight, or freeze response, and we lash out or we shut down to protect ourselves. And so... Now, is is that because, and sorry to interrupt no, you, but is that because it's our reptilian brain as such, although we've evolved so you know, far, it's our reptilian brain going, oh, the, the emotions that we're getting, are, I don't feel comfortable with this. I feel at risk. Therefore, we shut down to learning perception. All we can perceive is, am I going to, am I going to die or am I at risk or not? And that's where our brains, that's why everything else shuts down because we're just thinking about survival then is am I right that's exactly that? right and for our ancestors you know more often their fight flight or freeze response got activated by physical threats um but in today's day and age 
um, more often we get um, triggered by our big emotions. Um, so when we feel big emotions, it triggers that fight, that, that that same fight, flight or freeze response that kept us, our ancestors alive. And so our brain does not, is not capable of differentiating a perceived threat from a real, uh, from a real threat. And so to your point, yes, um, when we experience big emotions, it can feel as if that's a life or death situation. And yes, our logical brain shuts down and we don't have access to respond in effective ways um, because all, you know, it's it, it's all priority on survival. It's all priority on instincts. It's not a time to, hmm, let's consider the most effective way to respond. <laughs> it's a time to act without thinking, literally. Um, and so we do. And also... <laughs> And, and also you don't actually sit there and go, oh, why am I feeling like, like it, it takes a lot of effort to go, hang on a minute, take a deep breath. And I suppose in a way that's why we say, if you're feeling stressed, take a deep breath, because that then, does that then connect you back into why am I feeling like that? And it sort of stops the reptilian brain. Sorry, and maybe I'm getting a bit further forward than like. No, yeah, no, that... you're, you're exactly on target because that's, that's just it. It's automatic and it's unconscious. So it happens very quickly. And so, mm -hmm. you know, for example, when our toddler, um, when we're at a store and our, we say no to that thing that our toddler wants and they expected to hear yes, or when our preschooler has a new baby arrive in the family or our um, older kid, uh, it's time to shut off their video game and start their homework. Or for us as parents, when our kids are um, yelling, screaming, hitting, being just disrespectful or defiant, all of these experiences create these really big emotions. And so, um, you know, again, it's that automatic and unconscious. If If we're not if we're not tuning in with our awareness and utilizing strategies to respond in different, uh, different, more effective ways, um, uh, to your point, uh, you know, taking a breath or what have you, then yes, we're just going to, we're going to go on instinct and we're going to respond in these ways of lashing out or shutting down, you know, for our, for our kids that, that might look like yelling, screaming, hitting, um, you know, all of, all of these uh, behaviors, big behaviors that we see in our kids, um, or uh, it could look like running away, you know, that's the, the um, flight, or it could look like freeze. Yeah. It could look like just shutting down and kind of uh, going inwards, um, you know, sh shutting, shutting down. Um, and for us as parents, when we're in that fight response, that can look like yelling, blaming, shaming, punishing, um, or, or even shutting down as well. Or right? shutting because down, like, yes. You know, it can be shutting down physically or emotionally. Exactly. Because if you can't go, if you go, oh, I don't need to, I don't know how to handle this. Like if your child hits you mm. and you go, well, I don't know how to handle this because um, I don't hit my child um, and I don't want to yell at my child, but I don't know what to do. Sometimes... It's, you, you just shut down because you don't know yeah. what to do. Yeah. So it's about, you know, at that point you shut down and withdraw and go, okay, I'm leaving, <laughs> I'm leaving this situation because it might be better. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what's uh, interesting about that point, um, and I was actually just having a, a really reflective and important conversation with my 21 year old son this morning who happens to be home visiting. And we were reflecting on, um, something you make me think of as you're talking. And that's that um, in our, you know, in, in, in their growing up years, um, I would um, respond by shutting down um, emotionally, but I would, you wouldn't know it. You, I mean, you, you would, I was, I would, thought I was doing all the right things. I was calm. I was not a yeller. Um, and I would respond with logic, you know, how do we, um, you know, how do we fix this? How do we give you the tools to, you know, respond more effectively? How do we communicate more effectively? I would go straight to problem solving, um, you know, and my husband came from more of a family where, you know, they, they solve things by yelling. And so, you know, but either way in both, yeah, many of us, I, I, I can't say I, I happen to, I think being more, um, you know, I, I think it's more common 
to lash out and have that response. But but the most interesting part about that is, is that both are equally ineffective. And this is why, because what happens is in both cases, we are not able to, or will, uh, we are not able to be um, in, we are not able to allow for the emotion. We are trying to, if we're yelling, we're saying, I can't handle your big emotions. I don't think you can handle big, your big emotions. And that is the same message that we're giving if we are going straight to logic, because again, we're skipping, we're skipping allowing for our child to experience uncomfortable feelings together with enough support, because when we do that, we create tolerance for these uncomfortable feelings so that they learn to be with them instead of needing to lash out and shut down. And it's it's when we lash out or shut down that we essentially reinforce the message that uncomfortable emotions are are bad and scary and a threat. And yeah, we're absolutely right to initiate that fight, flight or freeze response. And so. And I think that's key. Yeah. I think it's key because I also, when I sit there and I think back and I, well, my son, my son does say, because I said to him this year, how can I be a better mum, right? Um, I want to be the best mum I can be to you and shame. And he did say, first of all, mummy, you're great. Mm. You don't <laughs> need to be any better, which I was like, right answer <laughs> is the $20. But then also, uh, <laughs> but also then I said, no, no, no. I said, there must be things that mummy does. Just let's sit and think about it, that you want mummy to change. And the one thing he said was, can you not yell so much? Mm. So I'm like, okay, right, okay. And I, and I know I do, but when I think about it, to have as an adult somebody either withdraw from you or yell at you is pretty scary. If you're in a relationship with somebody mm. who's a yeller, right, as an adult, it's pretty scary. So as a child, it must be three, four, five, tenfold because that's your parent that you're relying on that is your world that then is loving most of the time but then you know 20 percent of the time does the yelling or does the withdrawing that must be pretty scary must create anxiety within that child that as a parent you don't really want right and what's interesting is that they depending on the temperament of the child um, they could res they could respond with a fight response. And so you're just escalating the storm and then, you know, you're yelling, they're yelling louder. And um, or you could have a child that responds with actually a response that we haven't talked about, which is a fawn response. And that's another response um, in which you um, respond in a way that you try to appease um, the, the person that is, you know, creating fear for you. And so oftentimes that goes really missed by us because we see a really cooperative kid and we have no idea that, that we, we would never think that they're actually in a fight, flight, or freeze, or fawn in this case res response. And so, you know, um, for, for, for those of us who do yell and then we get this really cooperative response we might have no idea that you know that's happening and and that makes that makes sense that we we don't know it but um you know it's i think it's it's twofold i mean we I, i'd be happy to share a technique that i created a tool that i created an in the moment tool for um you know how to support us in staying regulated but then i think it's really important to talk about that that's not very realistic and it's i'm hoping it's going to be helpful i know i use it um but because we're human um we're just we're going to get it wrong a lot of the time and so there's actually really valuable um things that we can do in those moments that we get it wrong that create safety in our relationship and that um, teach our kids really important skills. So, but just to start with the tool, it's called the ABCs for keeping calm and um, A is for awareness as we've um you know, as, as we've referred to, that's the really important, important starting point. 
Um, because when we don't have awareness, we're going to go with that automatic reaction without uh, thinking or being aware. And so it's a matter of starting to become more in tune with your thoughts, feelings, and body sensations as clues to when you're feeling um, big emotions, to when you're feeling triggered, reactive. And so for a lot of us, we are not in the habit of that. We're in the habit of being very busy and go, go, go. Um, well, that was what I was going to ask. I was going to say, how do you become aware? How, is there, are there any techniques that you can use? Like, I know, and, and you're right, you know, we just like before Christmas for me mm -hmm. was very busy. I was working, I was busy, busy trying to get everything sorted for Christmas. We were going away, you know, there was lots of things that were going on. Right. So I was having lots of stressy emotions in the fact that I had lots of things on my list I needed to do for work, for home, for going away, for Christmas. Um, they were all my big emotions, but I necessarily wasn't quite aware of them all because, and what it, the impact of them was having on my son because I was just getting on with it. So how do I, how do you stop and become aware of what's going on in your life? Yeah, I mean, the simplest way for parents who are uh, so busy and single parents who are even busier um, is to incorporate it into our day in moments um, where uh, there is just the opportunity to, to do that. So for example, if we're working at the computer and we all take those moments where we need to look up and maybe look at something different other than the computer screen, just take a quick mental break. Oftentimes we'll go to our phone, of course, um, or check our email, but an alternative is to take those moments and to check in with yourself, um, you know, check in with your thoughts, your feelings and your body sensations. And what's interesting to know about your body sensations is that that is actually your first clue towards um, your emotions, because we feel our feelings in our body as body sensations before they travel to our brain, where we can identify words to label them as feelings. So that's uh, for some for some of us, we do, um, we are able to um, become aware of those sensations. And for some people, that's really um, a, a challenge. And so that's okay. You know, if you, if you are, if you are able to tune in with those sensations and become aware of it, you know, when I'm feeling angry, where do I feel it? Do I feel it in my chest, in my throat, uh, in my head, in my stomach, you know, where, where am I feeling it when I start to feel angry or where am I feeling it in my body when I start to feel anxious, but we can also um, I, you know, there are other ways to clue, clue into that, you know, including our thoughts and, and considering how we're feeling in that moment. Um, you know, so just taking those micro minutes throughout the day, it could be when we're in uh, the car waiting for our kid to come out. Um, it could be in that moment when we wake up and we, you know, have a moment before we jump out of bed, you know, we can create our own, um, own opportunities as they work for our schedule. And, you know, for some people, they'll be even structured about it and set their phone uh, to um, give them reminders at certain points throughout the day. So again, it's just, um, you know, we can certainly take on um, a practice of um, mindfulness um, and mindful meditation um, for those who want to take it deeper. But at the most practical level, uh, these are ways that even very uh, busy people who don't have that extra moment in the day can incorporate uh, practicing becoming more aware. Um, so, yeah, it might, like for me, I just, if I've got a, and I'm working, I work eight hours a day. So like I, I might get up and go make a cup of tea and I work from home at the moment. So I might get up, make a cup of tea, coffee, whatever, go and sit on the step, on my step mm. at my back door mm -hmm. and just sit in the sun because I'm in Australia, we're all in Australia, and um, sit on the back step on my door um, if it's not raining, and most of the time it's not raining, um, and just sit and just drink my coffee. Mm. And it might take five, ten minutes yeah. to drink my coffee and just do nothing, no phone, no nothing, just look at the bees buzzing around and like the sky and the clouds and you know just Beautiful. think oh I've got to cut I've got to cut that grass um and you know things like that do come in but it's just a time to 
relax, I think unwind as such. And you can't do that with the kids around all the time yeah. and working, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's just giving yourself a little bit of time, isn't it? Yeah. And you raised a really good point because there are other ways to practice awareness and mindfulness as well. And it doesn't just have to be, of course, tuning in with your inner world. It can be tuning in with your outer world. And that's what you're mm. doing when you're sitting there on the on the steps. And you're that's, that's a great way to practice um, mindfulness. We can also create those moments with our children. You know, we can just create those moments where we just really pay attention to what's happening in the moment. And that could be a walk. Um, that could be sitting on the grass. Um, that could be anywhere, anytime, but just inviting our child into that experience is a beautiful way to experience it ourselves and introduce that, um, you know, that concept to our children as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And it, and, but it doesn't even need to be like sitting on a step drinking a coffee. Like you said, it could be, oh, I'm just going to do a 30-second stretch or whatever. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't need to, or I'm going to get up and walk around the block. Like my block's not very big, but like, <laughs> but like you know, I can, I'm going to get up, walk into the garden and walk back yeah. into the house again, or I'm going to get up and walk around work or, you know, just to break that sitting there working or, you know, in the house with the children or whatever. Um, I do laugh and sometimes say it might be just that break of going to the toilet, sitting there and eat or the bathroom, <laughs> sitting there and eating a <laughs> chocolate bar, apple, whatever. I'm trying to eat apples, not chocolate bars oh. at the moment. But, um, yeah. So, okay, so that's just becoming aware. Yes, because without awareness we don't have a choice, but with awareness – we can um, create that pause, that pause before that automatic and unconscious reaction. Um, and so then B is for breathe. Um, you know, once we become aware and create that moment, we can take that deep breath in, letting our exhale be longer than our inhale. Um, sometimes it's one breath, sometimes it's 10 breaths, sometimes it's 20 minutes. Um, you know, we don't always have that opportunity, but um, we, do, we do what makes sense in the moment, of course. And, um, and for those that breathing isn't what works for them, uh, consider be as symbolic for what does. Essentially what we're looking to accomplish is to breathe or whatever supports you in being with your emotions as they rise up with you, rise up within uh, within you, and um, and as they recede, and just really being with them without lashing out or shutting down. And so, once we have the awareness, that's what we want to do. We want to identify that that coping tool that helps us be with our emotions without lashing out or shutting down. And so if breathing isn't your thing, other ideas include, um, for some people it's movement, doing a quick yoga pose, um, getting up and just simply um, walking around, uh, even jumping in place, or for some um, it's, um, you know, um, pressure points, like feeling uh, pressure can, can be calming. So feeling your feet, really pressing your feet into the floor and feeling that, that pressure or pressing your, your hands against a wall. Um, you know, for others, it can be taking a sip of water or hum humming, uh, a little bit of humming. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's very personalized and it's about experimenting. Maybe, you know, maybe you're someone that knows what calms them and maybe you're someone that, that can, uh, consider becoming curious about what calms you and experimenting in the moment, you know, when you're feeling big emotions, what helps you tolerate them. But that's the key thing, right? It be is about doing what calms you down. That's, the key mm -hmm. thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's what, what helps you cope with that emotion, yeah. what helps you be with that emotion. It's not about making the emotion go away because we know that's not the goal. The goal is to be with the emotion without lashing out or shutting down. And I have to say, um, over the last few years, there are times where I feel like I need to take action, but I don't because I go, Okay, let's just, I'm going to sit with this mm. for the next 24 hours. 
So it might be that I'm feeling anxious or it might be that um, I'm unsure about a move and my next move or whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, that I sit there and I go, right, I'm just going to do nothing for the next 24 hours and then see how I feel and and assess why I was anxious or what was going on with me over these next 24 hours. So I'm not going to do anything. And, and God love him. Um, I lost a friend nine years ago to mm. male suicide mm. and this leave it 24 hours thing that I do um, was what he used to say to me. Mm. He used to go, don't do anything. Maybe you should do nothing for the next 24 hours. And the one thing that's so annoying is if he'd have done nothing for 24 hours, mm. would he still be here? Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's frustrating, but yeah, but it comes from him. So mm. um, yeah, it's like, why every time tense? I yeah. just go, right. Okay. What would Tim do? He would just leave it for 24 hours. Mm. So I just leave it for 24 hours um and it's really helped me in the last few years being a single mum dealing with things it's just take a breath which is the b thing right take a breath yeah, step yeah. back leave it for 24 hours don't yeah. do anything it's still going to be there or maybe it won't be but you know nothing's gonna drastically happen so okay yeah and let me just comment that that's a beautiful example of um that's a beautiful example of being with your emotions as they rise up and recede and allowing um, them to pass through you and then becoming curious and reflecting on hmm, what's going on here. What what do I need in this moment? Um, and so that's really a beautiful example of that. Yeah. And it's just saying 24 hours. Then if you still want to do what you were going to do, go ahead and do it. But, you know, like just sit with it and then you might, you might change. So yeah, a little bit frustrating that it came from him and he didn't follow his own bloody advice. But anyway, Mm. we just, that was where his journey needed to finish and he needed to go on and do some other things. So it's Mm. okay. Um, so that was B. Yes. So C, C is calm your thoughts. So we can, um, tune in once we've, um, you know, become aware and uh, paused and taken that breath. We, um, once, once we have moved to a place where we are able to re-engage our logic, um, because as we mentioned, that logical part of our brain becomes really hard to access um, when we're in that fight, flight, or freeze response. But once we've calmed our body enough that we can reopen access to that logical part of our brain. We can tune in with our thoughts and consider what are our thoughts. Um, and you know, this is our, our, um, our, our tendency to have negative thoughts also comes from our ancestors and how, um, they evolved to protect themselves. So for example, if they saw, um, a, a stick, they might assume it was a snake or if they, you know, saw a beige rock in the distance, they might assume it was a tiger because having, um, making quick judgments that assumed the worst kept them alive. And so we evolved to make quick judgments that assume the worst. And so we can check in with those thoughts. You know, are we having catastrophizing thoughts um, and assuming the worst case scenario will happen? We can acknowledge that and accept it with compassion and say, yeah, it makes sense that I'm having that thought um, and not the goal of making that thought go away any more than it's our goal to make our emotions go away, but we can also uh, consider a more calming thought. Everything might be okay. Um, Or if we're having, um, you know, self-critical thoughts, I'm a terrible parent. I cannot even believe it. I just yelled and I am, I am the worst. What's wrong with me? You know, um, we can then consider a more compassionate thought, you know, being a parent being a single parent, I will add to this audience, is really hard. And uh, it makes sense that 
I yell sometimes. I, I, I'm human. I can't get it right. This was a hard moment. This was a hard day. This is a hard life. <laughs> and Hence so, the title of this, uh, it's the title of this podcast, you know, it's about right. being strong, single, but we're all human, human. right? So, human. you know, we've exactly. got to accept and embrace that we're human. There are these emotions and reactions that we have that were there to save us and help us survive like thousands, thousands and thousands of years ago. But, you know, societies and our environments have moved on, but our emotions haven't. We're still the creatures we were as such. I know. Well, it's, maybe we have in some areas, well, in, in some but ways, that's a whole like different story. So, <laughs> it is really crazy that we're still operating with the same brain in many ways and in such different life circumstances. So it's everything I teach is, is the, the foundation is compassion, you know, understanding why it's so hard to respond to our emotions in, in effective ways, both for ourselves as parents and for our kids is really the root of everything I teach. And, you know, to that point, if our thought is a judgmental thought about our kid, you know, like, oh my gosh, my kid is so spoiled. Um, they can't handle hearing no, uh, for one thing. I mean, I just bought the, you know, and we yeah. can consider, you know, oh, hearing no is really hard and it makes sense that they're feeling really upset, you know? So it's just, again, we can tune in with our thoughts and, um, accept them with compassion and also consider a calming thought. How do we get, uh, how do we help our kids to do that? Cause that's, the ABCs are great. I love that you named them ABC because it's brilliant. So, and that's great for us. How do we help our children? Like my son's seven and night. We had a week two of going back to school and it's horrendous at the moment because we've obviously had the holidays. He's been with family. He's been with me. So we've had all that dynamic. And now we've gone back to school dynamic, right? Which is with his mates we've then gone into the well I know best and I want to do this and I don't want you to tell me you can't I can't do this and so all of this negotiation Mm -hmm. and like no I want to do what I want to do sort of thing at seven but anyway so how do we help him and our and other children um deal with being told no being you know how do how do we help them yeah how did you yeah, help your kids? Yeah. Your kids sound really grounded and like off to uni and having conversations with you about emotions and stuff. Mm. It's like awesome. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I created a, a, a tool, an in the moment tool for our kids as well. And so when, our, as we know, when our kids are at their worst, it's when they need us mm. the most. And so um, I I created a tool called the VIP tool, which is sort of ironic because, of course, sometimes we might be thinking about got to be kidding. The last thing I want to give my kid is the VIP treatment when they're acting like this. But when we consider it from the point of view of, um, you know, in terms of just helping us remember it, you know, it's really actually when they're at their worst is when they're struggling Mm -hmm. the most and when they need us the most. But what that stands for is um, we'll start with the V and that stands for and this is the most important part is um, validating the emotions underneath the behavior while, of course, setting limits on behavior. Um, and and so what that means is, um, from a theoretical point of view, and then we can get into, you know, how that would look in real life, but it means responding with an attitude of, you're not a bad kid. You're a kid who's experiencing strong emotions and unmet needs And you do not yet have the brain development or life skills to respond in more effective ways. And I'm here to help you as you learn and grow. Um, And so what that can look like in real life is, um, you know, let's say, um, let's take an example of, um, you know, a brother uh, hitting a sister, you know, the first thing we'd want to do, of course, safety first, I won't let you hit, you know, I won't let you hit. Um, and then we can get to those emotions under the behavior. I see how angry you are. And that makes sense. You know what? I'd feel so angry 
if someone just grabs something from me. I get it. That makes sense. And again, we're responding in a way where they feel seen and they feel understood. They're not a bad kid. They're a good kid who doesn't uh, have the capacity in that moment to respond to their big emotions in a more effective way. They're going with that automatic and unconscious uh, reaction to lash out or shut down. Um, in response to the big emotions that, uh, that in that example that um, they felt when somebody grabbed something from them. And so um, when we can view behavior through this lens of our nervous system, it's a very um, different way of looking at it. And it can create that compassion and understanding for why responding in that way, first of all, is going to create calm. Because when we feel seen and understood, let's use ourselves as an, uh, as an example. Um, you know, let's say that we were with somebody um, who we are close with and we were, you know, acting in a really horrible way. We were just kind of acting as our worst selves. And it would make a lot of sense for that person to react in a way where they maybe felt angry with us um, or kind of were looking at us like, oh my gosh, you're a horrible person, right? I mean, that would be really understandable. Yeah. And yet imagine if they had the capacity to see through our behavior into our inner world and recognize we're a good person who's had a really tough day. And in this moment, we are acting as our worst selves. And so instead responded with, oh boy, I'm guessing you had a tough day. You know, what can I do to help? You know, can you imagine how it would feel to see, to, you know, to feel seen and understood and how that would create uh, that immediate feel of calm and safety. We would feel emotionally safe with that person. And, and what that does when we create that safety is we support a return to regulation. And when we support a return to regulation, we support a return to a state in which our kid has the capacity, the biological capacity to act as their best selves, to listen, to cooperate, to learn, to problem solve. And so in, it can be a really counterintuitive way uh, in terms of how our culture teaches us to respond to behavior. But if we have the understanding of the um, biological reactions, it makes actually a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. So, and then sorry. Oh, oh no, no, no. So, so no. what you're doing is, if your child is having a big emotion, you're not having a big emotion yourself, basically. So you're just. Um, recognizing that your child is having the big emotion and confirming with your child that you recognize that they're having a big emotion. Does, does that sound right? Yeah. Like? And if it's just a big emotion, I mean, because you bring up a great point because sometimes it's about big behaviors and that's when we want to look for the emotion driving the big behavior, look for the unmet need. Yeah. And that's step two. That's I for identify the what's the unmet need. What's what's the unmet need under this emotion? Because we know our emotions communicate information to us about our needs. And so it could be as simple as, oh, my gosh, my kid hasn't eaten since or they're overtired. And, you know, it could be as something as simple as that. It could be they need to learn a more effective way um, to get their needs met. So, for example, once you um, help your child return to regulation by, you know, seeing and, um, you know, helping them feel seen and understood and returning them to a calm state where they're going to be open to reason, open to calm and cooperation, you know, then you can, you know, um, move to identifying needs and solving problems. But, um, you know, one of the needs might be to your point, just to get some big pent up emotions out. And so um, it could be that those emotions come out once we've helped them feel safe enough to stop acting out, or it could be that it just starts as emotions. But either way, the most effective thing that we can do when it's just emotions, you know, not behavior, just big emotions, um, the most effective thing that we can do is just create 
space and allow for our child to experience these really uncomfortable emotions together with enough support. Um, And when we do that, um, they will build emotional strength. You know, it's when we lash out or shut down. It's when we yell or when we, um, you know, shut down emotionally. It's when we can't go there. It's when we are not able to be with the emotions in the moment that we create emotional fragility and that we um, fuel that um you know, fight, flight, or freeze reaction. And so it's when we can give our children experiences of being with those uncomfortable emotions together with enough support that they're going to build that tolerance and become less reactive to them over time. Is there, so how I, um, how I stop myself and give my child space is that I actually say internally, he's not going to listen to me until he calms down, right? Because you're right, they shut down and it doesn't matter whether you say something and they look as though they're listening or they say they're listening, right? They ain't listening, right? Um, yeah, their yeah. logical brain because is shut down. Literally, it's yeah, hard to access. Exactly. Yeah. And so is there any, how do we give them space to, like he he now goes in his bedroom and shuts his door. So I go, okay, come and speak to me when you need to speak to me, right? And we'll like, and I let him calm down that way. And then we go in and have a conversation about what just happened or whatever. But are there any other ways? I mean, I'm not necessarily, I don't even know if that's the right way to do it, right? But like, um, how do we allow them that calm down time? Does, Does that make sense? Yeah. And you bring up such an important point because uh, validating their emotions in a way that uh, creates a felt sense of safety in their body and helps them return to regulation is highly individual. And that's going to look different for every child. Um, And so it's a matter of like when we are learning what calms us with that B step, it's um, experimenting, you know, your kid best, what's going to help calm your kid. And also it depends on the level of reactivity. So for example, um, for some kids, it's words that will be calming those words of, Oh, I see how angry you are. That makes sense. You know what? I would feel so angry too. And so for some kids, it's it's the words for some kids, words are highly agitating. <laughs> and so it could be not communicating that message of, I see you, you're a good kid. You're feeling big emotions and you don't have the skills or capacity or brain development to manage them more effectively in this moment that can be communicated through a look in your eye, um, a touch on the shoulder. Um, and, um, you know, it could be through movement. It could be, you know what, let's, let's go take a walk. Um, it could be, um, it could be calming sense or calming sounds Uh, And it could be time alone, especially as kids get older. And so we never want to, um, and this this gets to the idea, and I know this is not at all what you're talking about, um, but it it makes me think about timeouts. And so for some of us, especially with younger kids, um, we think of, you know, oh, if our kid is um, out of control, that we would send them to a timeout. But what's... um, interesting to understand is that as mammals, when we are in times of distress, um, we seek um, comfort from, um, you know, you know, when you're a child from a caregiver, um, for us as um, adults, you know, we, we, we want to be close to that adult we feel safe with. Um, You know, when we're in times of distress, I think we can all know what that feels like, you know? And so, um, so it, it creates safety for us to be with somebody we feel safe with in times of distress. And so if we send somebody away, we send our kid to a timeout when they're acting, um, in really challenging ways or having big emotions because we want them to calm down. What it actually does is it heightens their threat response because it's going to create fear to be away from their safe person 
at a time of distress. So instead, um, you know, we want to keep them close. And, and, and um, so for when our kids are younger, we want to keep them close and we want to say those words or we want to have those nonverbal um, looks or we want to touch or we want to move or what have you. But as they express the desire to um, have some alone time as they get older, we absolutely want to support that. It's whatever helps your kid in whatever age or stage. And so, and again, it depends on their level of reactivity. For some moments, it could be as simple as... Um, you know, it could be as simple as um, reconnecting and creating that safety and being able to move on. And other times it's going to be um, simply surviving the moment in a way that keeps everybody physically and emotionally safe. It could be that kid needs to go in their bedroom and, you know, take 20 minutes, a half an hour um, just to be alone. And so we can say, you know, like we're here, we're here when you need us, or I'm going to check in on you. But we want to, of course, support whatever helps them come. I mean, it's different, the different emotions that he goes through. So if it's anger and he's angry at me, well, that's straight in the bedroom door shut. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. But then I know when he's ready to talk because he comes out and goes, can I have a hug? And I'm like, yep, okay. And so we do the hug thing. But for other feelings it can just be I need a hug mum and so you just give him I hope it continues he is only seven I'm sure at 16 he isn't going to want a hug I don't know he can get one um but um yeah you never know yeah exactly so um but yeah and it varies with the different emotions that we actually go through so yeah that's sort of where we're at very nuanced yes so um okay so that's great so what's the p then P is for problem solve. And so, um, you know, once we identify the need that can look like simply get, you know, offering them a snack, uh, can be taking um, a break. It can be, um, if they're regulated enough in the moment, we can, um, we can help them learn more effective ways to get their needs met. You know, okay, I get it. You don't want someone to grab from you. That makes sense. How can we Um, you know, how can we get that need met in a different way, in a way that doesn't hurt somebody, you know, and, you know, it's really effective to include our kid in the problem solving because when we include them in identifying the solution and thinking of new ways, um, first of all, it creates confidence and competence. They learn how to be problem solvers, um, but also it increases their and creates motivation when they come up with the solution themselves, they're much more likely to want to implement that solution. But if it's a moment, you know, if if our kid has just completely lost it, then we're going to be doing that problem solving later at a calm time when they're regulated. So again, we move into problem solving once they're regulated enough. And sometimes that can be in the moment, you know, once we've given them that, um, once we've found the way to communicate to them, you know, I see you, I see you're a good kid that's struggling right now. And they've, they've, you know, feel seen and understood um, and they're moving to regulation, you know, again, so sometimes that's in the moment, sometimes it's a later time. Um, and, you know, it could be that the solution is simply to, as we were talking about, create space for those emotions to come out and there's no problem to be solved. We just need a moment to feel our feelings and then we're ready to move on. Well, and you may not be they may want to process that as as, I suppose as they get older, they may want to deal with it themselves. It's very easy when they're little for us parents to come in and go, right, well, we'll sort this, you know, and, you know, so sharing toys or whatever. But then when it's things that are happening at school or whatever, they may have an emotion at home, a big emotion, I suppose, but then they feel they want to solve it or whatever. So I suppose then as a parent, and I and I, in a way, I know he's only seven, but I'm sort of thinking more towards like teenagers. In a way, as a parent, we have to stop, don't we? And we have to let them do that, sort their own yeah. stuff yeah. out. Yeah. And we can begin to, you know, we can begin to transition into that, even using this tool, because um, when we get to, um, you know, going back to the validating their emotions, what happens is that when we respond over and over and over and over again to um, 
their big behaviors by, um, you know, helping them go from dysregulated to regulated, their brain is going to wire such that they will be able to self-regulate. And um, so it's interesting because a lot of times we think to go straight to tools. Um, and uh, But what happens and what's really important to understand is that we could, for example, teach our child the tool of breathing. But what happens is that until the child develops self-regulation, they do not have the self-control to say, oh, hmm, I'm feeling triggered. I could breathe right now. Um, and so until they have developed self-regulation, we co-regulate. Co-regulation creates self-regulation. So that's essentially what I'm talking about when we're talking about validating the emotions because that's something that helps calm them um, in whatever way we learn they're able to hear that message that's co-regulation we're helping them calm mm. and so again when we've responded that way over and over again they're going to learn to one day be able to do it themselves and that's the time when we can um they you know they might be able to start implementing those tools on their own so it's like we could do it with them as they're learning but we can't expect them to do it themselves. That was one of the, you know, the, the biggest things, the biggest learning curves for myself is again, I respond with logic to the big emotions and challenging behaviors. So I would just go straight to, okay, so this is a tool and what's a plan for next time. And, you know, and then, oh my gosh, how come you didn't implement that plan next time? <laughs> and I learned it's because uh, it is, and, and I, and it's actually, to be honest with you, a kind of a painful memory. And I've, I've had this conversation um, with my daughter and I, I do remember one time, and I don't remember her age. I mean, she was getting a little older, you know, and I remember saying to her, no, you just, you need to really learn the skills to be able to calm yourself. And I just didn't know better. I just didn't. I didn't know about co-regulation. I didn't know that co-regulation creates self-regulation and that you can't expect a child to self-regulate before they're developmentally ready. And it's not about age. It's a highly individualized depending on genetics and life experiences, um, temperament. Um, there is no um, age where you're, you can say, oh, they're three, they're going to be doing this. They're, they're seven, they're going to be doing that. No, it's highly individualized. And so um, kids need co-regulation as long as they need co-regulation. And so you can be doing that breathing with them in the moment or finding out, you know, what calms them. Um, and you, but, but you can't expect them to be able to execute that on their own until they're developmentally ready to yeah. do that. Well, that was, that's interesting because I was, that leads on to my next question, really. Is it ever too late to learn this? Or no, <laughs> I am a great example of no, <laughs> no, it's not too late. It's, I didn't figure this out until the later years and even if you don't figure it out until the day, it's, you know what this is, is it's all about relationship. And mm. we want to, we want to, um, you know, we want to be in relationship in ways that we want to respond to our, you know, it all kind of comes back to the original. We want to learn how to respond to our big emotions and unmet, uh, you know, unmet needs in ways that create peace within ourselves and within our relationships with others. So even if we are um, a parent listening that has an adult child, these are things um, that we can, you know, uh, implement um at, at any age or um, stage in terms of, um, you know, wanting to um, learn how to regulate our own emotions and to learn to communicate our needs in effective ways, in ways that um, identify solutions rather than focus on blame. Uh, we want to learn to listen with the intent of understanding rather than the uh, intent of figuring out what we can say to prove the other person wrong. And then we want to work collaboratively together to identify solutions that, um, you know, recognize the feelings and the needs of all involved. So are you going to be implementing the VIP tool with your adult child? No, no. But these are all, you know, it's all under the umbrella of, um, social and emotional skills. How do we 
learn to be with our feelings without lashing out or shutting down and instead learn to respond in more effective ways. And, and, and emotions don't stop, do they? I mean, big emotions, <laughs> no. little no. emotions, any emotions, they don't stop just because you become an adult, as we know. <laughs> Both you and I know. Yeah, so, part of our humanity. Yeah. yeah, it's just being able to understand them. It's the ABCs, isn't it, really? As as you move into that sort of adulthood, it's like that ABC sort of situation. Yes. Yeah, that's the adult tool. And that's, and that's, you know, when our child is, you know, ready to, um, you know, is, is able, developmentally able to, to regulate, you know, it's, that's, that's why it's the tool for adults and not, not the tool for the kids, because we can't expect kids to go through that process until they've developed um, self-regulation and have the control to, you know, implement a tool. No, that's fair. That's fair. Look, Thank you so much for going through and talking to us about the ABCs. Um, I feel like I'm on a kids program now, but talking to us about the ABCs <laughs> and and the VIP method of dealing yeah. with these big emotions. Um, where can people find you if they want to find out more about the ABCs, VIPs, and and things like that? Do you have you got a website? Um, are you on the socials, as it were? Yes, people can find me um, at laurareardoncoaching.com. Uh, that's my website where you'll find everything. Um, you'll find links to my social media accounts. You'll find blogs if what you're hearing speaks to you and you're interested in reading a little bit more, going a little deeper on this. I encourage you to look there. And um, if there's anyone that's interested in one-on-one -on -one support, I specialize in helping parents create um, personalized parenting plans. And what that is, is a plan for how to respond to the, you know, big behaviors and challenging, uh, or excuse me, the big emotions and challenging behaviors in your home um, in a way that builds uh, your social and emotional skills, your child's social and emotional skills, and in a way that is customized to, you know, the specific challenges, developmental stages, and temperament of your child. And you get it in writing so you can share it with others as well. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, look, I have one final question for you. I don't know if it's going to be an easy one or a hard one, but what book would you recommend to my listeners oh. and why? That's an easy one. I would recommend it's a fairly new book this year. Oh, I guess we're in 2023. Yeah, so, so I think like it came out year, in 2022. But yeah. but, I can't um, guess you're saying that yet at the moment either. <laughs> <laughs> last year. Um, so. It is called Brain Body Parenting, and it's by Dr. Mona Delahook. And she goes really deep into the science um, under, you know, really what she refers to is this revolution in parenting that is in the infancy stage, but it's um, where we're headed, and she is leading the way. And, um, you know, she's being asked to speak at major conferences um, throughout the uh, throughout the world because people are really starting to pay attention to this new lens through which we are looking at behavior. And it's no longer about, you know, consequences and rewards yeah. and uh, or ignoring. It's, you know, recognizing the science behind the behavior in more effective ways. Um to respond and, um, you know, to, to teach our children the skills that we want for them to have in their adult lives so that they can have those, you know, successful um, relationships in their adult lives. Yes. And I'm so glad that we've got all of this information that's out there. Sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming, but, uh, but um, I'm glad that people are starting to look at all of this brain body and understanding mm. how we need to, um, help our children become the people we want them to become in their adult yeah. lives. Um, 
So, yeah, it's really good. Well, that's definitely going on the list then. That one is definitely going on my list. No, that's well, cool. You'll Look, have to let me know what you think. Yeah. I will. I will. Look, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the podcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you and learning all about these big emotions that we all have and how to deal with them. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure having a conversation with you. I love your um, questions and the dialogue that we've had together. So it's really been a pleasure for me. No, my pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you would like to hear more, please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you would like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content you want to hear just like this. If you want to check out our past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast or for links, resources and show notes, go to our website www.strongsingleandhuman.com we are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey and Twitter. I hope you have a wonderful week and I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one is perfect. We're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast. podcast.